welcome to The Best Podcast. This is episode number eight. Now, some time ago, I did an interview with Gemma Sugru, who's from Ireland. She's a lovely teacher over there, runs her own studio uh, with several teachers, and she and her teachers have all done the best course at some point. And I interviewed her for the magazine, I Sing, which is something I publish uh, on the side. Um, Anyway, so hopefully you've already got into that membership and maybe you've even read uh, her interview. But whilst I was talking to her, we started to really get into what was happening in her studio and how she got it started and the things that worked and didn't work and what she learned and um, how she's balancing that and being the artist. And I decided I would use that part of the interview for this month's podcast because I think there's some really great advice in there and um, top tips as well as just, you know, it's wonderful to hear another singing teacher's story and and if you're ever thinking of putting a studio together with other singing teachers, um, then you might get some great ideas from Gemma on how to go about doing it or not doing it. Anyway, so um, just so you're aware, because we had some internet issues I didn't do the video version so for this podcast we've only got the recorded version the audio track Um, but I am sure you will still get a lot out of it I'm sorry for the quality of the audio sometimes it is a little bit dodgy because of this poor internet connection but I think you'll still get so much out of the podcast anyway So I hope you're enjoying these podcasts and if you have any suggestions for teachers that we should talk to, then please let me know. They don't have to be part of the best community uh, at all. They just need to be people who love to share and um, spread, you know, their knowledge and love for singing teaching. Okay, so I'll just uh, let you get on with it. Enjoy this podcast with Gemma Suguru. Why singing? So I was uh, looking back into the past, deep into my past for this. And uh, I think the first answer that my head was um, because it was easier than piano. So I was taking piano lessons and getting my grades in that and then figured out I could sing, I could get grades in singing. So I said, maybe I might do that. So I actually changed to singing from piano when I was 16. Um, but I'd done up to like grade six or seven by then. But then, I, I, you know, I do think in primary school, I figured out I was at it or I had a talent for it and it became I became known as the girl who sings in and um, sometimes if the teacher was um going a break she'd get me to stand up and sing so that became part of my identity you know you found you know other kids were good at sports I was good at that so So how did your actual singing career start I got a an audition for a tour in Australia straight after my leaving search which is the same as the A-levels in the UK and I was asked to audition over the phone for this Irish show that was touring Australia the following week starting so some singer had pulled out so I got the gig I was only 17 at the time I got the gig so I had to travel to Australia and and you know do a tour and it was really thrown in at the deep end so a huge learning curve and that's kind of how it started and I, I deferred college then for two years. I had intended to do a BMOS, but I deferred it for two years to tour with that show. What was the show? Uh, the show was called, there was a couple of different versions under the same company. There was one called The Spirit of Ireland. 
There was one called um, Dance of Desire. There was another one called To Dance on the Moon. But they were all under the one company called Kyol Curie. I was I really regarded myself as the girl who covered the costume change for the dancers. <laughs> so I'd come out and sing Danny Boy while they changed into another costume for because it was mainly about the dancing. And now there's live musicians and myself, so I do four or five songs throughout the show um, to kind of break up the dancing. That two years, um, it definitely took its toll on me. Um, you know, I was very young and um I found like the whole schedule of that, like sleeping on a bus and eating out of garages and McDonald's and you know, there was a bit of a party lifestyle attached to it as well. A lot of the musicians were in their late twenties. I was only seventeen. Um so it, it was uh the lifestyle took its toll on me. So um yeah, after that I was really hungry for college and I started my B Mods then, which was in classical vocal performance um but I had to audition each year and then defer it so each time I would come back to audition they know a decline my vocal technique you know from being on the road and not having regular singing lessons so um they felt like they had to kind of bring me back to scratch then once I started the degree so you came back from touring with this troupe and your technique had diminished during this time were you singing so the more traditional kind of Irish song when you were doing this tour? Yeah, and like the keys were set in a classical vocal setting, like they were a bit more legit um, versions of the song. So like I did Danny Boy and Carrick Fergus, but they they weren't, um, I wasn't singing them contemporary in style, even though I would do a little bit sometimes after when you're doing the show for so long, for so many weeks, I start doing a bit of embellishing and just a few riffs. Um, but I was told by my manager very quickly to rein that in. But yeah, so they were, it, it was little in style pretty much. Why did you choose to do your BMAS in a classical voice? Were your, was your intention to be a classical singer? Yeah, like my vocal coach when I was 16, when I first started singing lessons, was very passionate about that kind of music and was very excited about me singing that kind of music. And I just got swept up in all of that. And I I loved it as well. And I loved the idea of um, pursuing this kind of what I perceived as a really high art. And um, I... I was really on board with it, but it was all that was available in Ireland. There was no other alternative outside of classical. So if you wanted to be formally educated in something uh, to do with singing and music, it needed to be classical. So, um, and I was happy to go along with that. But by the time I'd finished my MA, I, you know, did, I changed everything. Um, after that, I don't think I, I could, I felt like I could commit to such a, a particular style um, my soul wanted other kinds of music. So how did you go about uh, gaining experience then? Yeah, I went over to the UK. Um, so it, it kind of came about when I started teaching. I started teaching halfway through college and I found that my students that I was teaching were looking for something other than classical from me. And all of my background was in classical. So I felt like I needed to upskill in that department or find some way of teaching them that didn't involve classical vocal exercises and repertoire. So I went over to the UK and I did a lesson with um, a lady named Kim Chandler and she uh, kind of opened my eyes in a big way to 
the other part of my voice, which I had had ignored for years, which is my chest voice. Mm. And um, so I was getting away with it. I had such a good twangy head voice that I was actually getting away with doing band gigs and soul band gigs with just head voice. Mm. Um, and uh, But she kind of opened my eyes to that. And then she, we kind of started working together where she would mentor me um, over Skype. So I would teach my students every week. But then at the end of the week, I would bring everything that came up with my students that week to Kim. And she'd help me troubleshoot things. And we'd also work on my own voice. And it was amazing. Um, I did that for maybe, uh, you know, part-time for about two years. Um, like what wouldn't have been every single week, but I would have kept in touch with her like that for about two years. And um, she came over and did a masterclass and workshop in voice works. And I was, um, yeah, she, she really helped me and made a big change in my technique and in, in how I viewed myself as a singer and opened up loads of possibilities. And now I'm a full-time contemporary singer. Mm-hmm. So what kind of challenges did you feel that you had then when you were starting out down this path? Obviously, one of them was the fact that you didn't have the uh, access to or easy access to a technical teacher who could help you in the contemporary voice. What, what other sort of challenges did you find? Like I gained a lot of great experience in real life where I got to sing in a a jazz trio on a weekly basis and that helped me kind of explore being off the dots and um just play with music and respond to musicians and you know being a bit more improvised but I did I did feel like you know coming from a classical background you're very attached to what's written on the page and um going away from that was a bit of a change but actually I think suited me personality wise more Um, but I think the technique was the biggest challenge Um, also I suppose I would have lacked immersion in in repertoire as well I felt like um, I had to do a lot of catching up on uh, listening to music that was soul or jazz or funk or or whatever else um, to, to really get the style into my voice but the biggest thing that I had to overcome was getting that body into my sound because I had sung for so long to such a, you know, a fairly advanced level with only a CT dominance setting my voice. So what about the business side of the industry? I suppose that uh, I started when I was in college to support myself. I started doing a lot of church wedding singing and um, I set up a website and I really enjoyed doing all of that. I found the business side of things really creative. I loved coming up with an idea and a concept and putting it all together and putting up videos and content and blah, blah, blah. So I actually was, you know, really... um, sustained myself through college by doing those church weddings every weekend um and then I that kind of led on to after college I ended up setting up a school with my friend Leisha uh so, so that was another business venture but yeah being an entrepreneur and a business person has been has been sometimes the primary focus in my life um, and then other times takes a back seat like right now I'm more of a performer and less of a business person because I'm trying to focus on that. It's just sometimes different things lead at different times. So what was your initial goal when you decided, you know, okay, I'm going to leave the classical 
genre behind and, and I'm going to focus more on the contemporary. Did you have any specific goals? As a singer, career-wise, I was really invested in being a vocal coach at the time and I really wanted to understand um, how I could teach this. And I wanted to to perform as a functional singer in my life um, more authentically. Um, so, but I don't think I had any like huge aspirations, like, you know, become a superstar or anything like that. I, I just wanted to be um, a very good technical functional singer. I suppose I was aspiring to be a session singer and get more back in work or studio work. Um, but I also wanted to be a singing teacher that was able to demonstrate in a really authentic way and also understand and explain it. Mm. Um, and that, you know, yeah, that, I think they were my two main goals at the time. And has that changed? I think I've always been afraid of going out there as an artist myself. Um, and, and now in the last year or two, I've been exploring that. So I've been writing my own music and I'm planning on releasing my own music this year. And um, I think the longer you're established in your community and, and known for what you do, the harder it is to do something like this, because I think you're just a little bit more vulnerable and people are a bit, maybe I, I'm worried that people might be a bit more judgmental, but I've kind of like let go of that. And I just want to have, um, you know, there's music that's filtered through me that I've listened to and I have something to say and I just want to put it down and not, I'm not looking for it to be any particular, any particular level of success, but I needed a lot of space to do that. So I had to wait for a time when the business was stable enough to allow somebody to manage it, which I've done this year um, so that I could have space to write and, you know, be a toddler in something again, which is writing music and, and learning how, what's going to work and how do I produce something and all, all that goes along with that. I needed to get to a learning stage with that. What kind of challenges did you have when you first started your studio? I suppose, I think looking back, like if I was to see the hardship in it was the fact that it wasn't financially, um, um, we couldn't be supported financially by the business initially. So that meant that we were working really long days, um, not making money and then having to sustain ourselves by gigging at the weekend. So we do three or four gigs. And when I say we, it was myself and my business partner, Leisha Leahy. Um, but we were great pals and we had great fun together. And we made the business always every day um, positive and fun and creative. And, um, you know, when one of us was having a bit of a tough week, the other would pick up the slack. And I think because we had each other, we got through that. But the lack of financial support from the business initially was tough, just on our time, because we had to make money at the weekends then. So where was your money getting spent on? Just like rent and just living um, we were completely reliant on what we were making from gigs at the weekend. But then all of our time was being poured into the business. It was kind of like a side hustle, the business, but it was our everyday five days a week hustle. Um, and then we had to make money for the two days that we might have enjoyed some free time. So we had no free time and it was very tough on like, you know, we had boyfriends at the time that didn't get to see us. and um, But we were we were just luckily we had each other and I think that's what what got us through 
and then then it became financially stable. Right. So I mean, I'm just trying to figure out what in the beginning were you spending your time and effort on in the business. In the business. Oh, okay. Um, I suppose like everything was new, constantly making decisions about where it's going and what's happening. You're spending time on the website, marketing, business meetings. We have, we had a venue. So we had a, um, a theater, like a hundred seater theater that we got done up with lights and sound and all of this. And we had all of these little rooms in the building as well that hadn't been kitted out and they needed to be furnished. We needed to, you know, market and then obviously be the administrators for the business as well. So you're dealing with inquiries. And then we wanted to set up like really good contracts for students coming in so that they signed contracts and that they kind of looked after all parties. We had, um, you know, lots of different meetings with solicitors about our own partnership agreement um, organizing and setting up the accounts and getting the cash flow going and all of this was completely new to us we we're music grads you know we're not business gra- graduates um, like we started the business on a free google um, business template and we only when we did set up the business we only we set it up in less than two months because we decided to set up the business after we ran a summer camp in July 2011 and we had like about 25 singers on that camp that were just so um, had so much potential they were really raw but they were all really cool singer songwriter pop singer type um, girls and um, we couldn't imagine them going to the music theatre school or going to the classical conservatoire and we were like we will have to make up a school this can't this is magic we can't let this momentum go and um, so then we really wanted to open something in September so we had to just scramble to become business people really quickly. Was there anything that when you look back now that you wish you'd known right from the beginning? I mean, I think we probably spent money on things we didn't need to spend money on. Um, I think we were a little bit idealistic and our vision for the school might have been very ambitious and we might, you know, we could have been easier on ourselves. You, you look back and you see how more productive you could have been on different tasks now that you know but when everything is new it just everything took longer than it needed to take and um yeah we I feel like we spent money on things we didn't need to spend money on and we might have been a little bit green when it came to meetings and negotiations with um other suppliers or even like when it came to renting the premises and um all of that was really new and I think um we couldn't hide the, the newbie factor about us. What was it that turned the business around for you? It grew organically all the time. And I think the longer it went on, the more we started understanding the systems that were working for the business. I think what really helped us, our whole business is run from Google. So we run, we run all of our timetables through Google Calendar. Um, we do everything on shared spreadsheets on Drive. And like, that sounds like a really simplistic thing, but it, it really transformed how we organized and coordinated what the teachers were doing and the students were doing and, and how things were timetabled. Like things like um, plugins on the websites of application forms that, you know, feed directly into those spreadsheets those kind of systems made life so much easier and then figuring out what kind of events 
suited our school because our school is all one-to-one voice nearly and there's some piano students and some choirs but like deciding on the nature of an event um for, for those kind of singers to showcase those singers but that you know didn't put us to too much cost but that was unique and you know we were still trying to figure out our place in the market we at one stage were trying to be a little bit more music theater and we had some acting coach we had an acting coach and classes and you know we were trying to expand that way and then you realize no hang on you need to distill this back to what we're good at and what we're unique at and let's just you know stick to that actually to answer your question I think now I've arrived at the fact that I think it was because we distilled what we were doing and we streamlined that instead instead of trying to be everything to everyone one studio in in Cork City um, we have a branch of that studio in a, a town outside of Cork called or outside of Cork City called Bandon and then um, we have a smaller branch of it in Killarney as well, County Kerry. And how many students do we have? There, it kind of fluctuates um, between or in and around 300 um, and then we'd have about 14 teachers. All of our teachers are contractors and um, they so they're responsible for their own tax returns and um, so we we charge the student a certain amount and then we pay the teachers a certain amount. So then there's a margin left over and then a certain amount of that margin will go on your overheads and then what's left over then is, is the profit. Mm. So it's a very small margin that you're going to make from one-to-one coaching. Like a service business isn't the most favorable business model. But it's what it's what we wanted to do. And do you have any plans to change that? I suppose like there's things like bringing in products into it, um, looking at you know you could do something like your own straw, or you can look at merchandise like t-shirts, or uh, a warm-up program, or a book, or you could go all the way to creating a, a type of syllabus for singers. Um, but yeah, we kind of haven't gotten that far yet, and we're still like even we're we're six years running now, and and teachers change over all the time. But I feel like um, the contemporary vocal coaching education hasn't settled yet like the dust hasn't settled on the ground yet for it and and I'm still getting teachers from such mixed backgrounds working in the studio and then I'm trying to get them up to speed but I'm noticing in the last two or three years as there's teachers emerging from the new pop degree that um, things are beginning to kind of like I say settle in terms of um, agreement with what what you know good vocal technique is for an all-rounded contemporary type singer. Why, why did you decide that you wanted best at, at the studio? The teachers are all coming from very different backgrounds. Some of them are coming from a classical degree. Others have had experience performing pop but have done classical training. Some of them are coming from a pop degree. And BAST was a really brilliant way of getting everybody on the same page without um enforcing a methodology and taking away their own flair and I think that's what I'm always trying to maintain in, in voice works um is that we have everybody on the same page people can expect a particular standard of education from voice works but they're also allowed to enjoy that teacher's flair and we're very we're always like 
very open with moving students. So we're like, okay, I think where you're going right now, you're looking at getting into more songwriting. It sounds like you need to go to Dara. Um, your rudiments could do with a little bit of work. I think you should go over to Lorna. And like different teachers have different strengths and we encourage that. But BAST seemed to tie everyone together on what the standard of the studio is and what is the 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 fundamentals that we all need to understand and know. What do you think the benefit of this kind of business is as opposed to just running your own one-to-one teaching, you know, from home or from a studio? I think one of the main objectives that both Leisha and I had was um, a sense of community. Like it can be quite an isolated uh, business if you're teaching one-to-one and you're just going into your studio on your own, seeing your students and going home, you don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of. And um, I I find that there's a real sense of community and everybody's communicating in the school and there's a sense of support. It's really brilliant for, um, you know, students need goals and sometimes it can be really fatiguing on the teacher to have to constantly keep them motivated and if there's a school providing opportunities like there's going to be a video shoot for YouTube there's going to be this cool gig at Christmas there's going to be a showcase on in the shopping center these like we'd have maybe including the video shoots we might have about 12 to 15 opportunities throughout the academic year for students to enter into so if even if and then that's not uh, taking into account the the exams that that we hold we host in june um so like there's constant motivation and stimulation for the students to stay um progressing and stay motivated so i think the sense of community amongst the teachers and then the help of the structure and support for students to be motivated to work towards goals is another brilliant um, aspect of being in a school. Mm. And what would you say the disadvantages are? You're tied into uh, a certain routine. You might get students that you mightn't like that don't not that you don't like, but that you that don't really click with you. Whereas that can be like say now from for myself, like I'm out teaching at the moment outside of my school, and I just put up days that I want to teach. And, um, you know, that's it. You can come and meet me or you don't, or it's very flexible, whereas you would be tied into a term with a a certain amount of students for the year. But then the other thing is all of the administration support. Like if a student cancels in our school, the teacher still gets paid. Um, Our our administrator will look after all of the correspondences and you just have to focus on teaching. Mm. Um, Now you, you might make the best, rate on your own but I think with with everything taken into consideration it it works out pretty well. What advice would you give somebody who's thinking about setting up a similar kind of a studio? I think have a look at what the market is like see if there's somebody else doing something similar Um, make sure that you hire professionals to do the stuff that you're not that keen on or that um, skilled at and I would I would include there the accountant and the solicitor in a I would strongly recommend getting two really good a really good solicitor and a really good accountant mm-hmm. um, and then drawing up watertight contracts and really um, protecting yourself against the worst case scenario uh, if you're in a partnership agreement especially and also just with students 
most students, I would say 99% of clients that have come through VoiceWorks have been completely fair and reasonable and wonderful to deal with, but you'll get one person who will break the mold and you need all the protection in the world when it comes to that person. Um, so I would recommend a really good solicitor and a really good accountant to take care of that side of things. And then that allows you to work on the business and always find a way to allow yourself to work on the business rather than in the business. Um, it's, it's always more been, it might in the short term might feel like it doesn't make sense financially, but in the long term it will. Yeah. So it's just, um, just being able to zoom out and, and oversee it and have people, you know, do the things like, just anything that you can delegate, delegate it. And the more you keep freeing yourself, the more you can actually see and understand the business and have ideas and have more freedom to think. So, um, and the more you're able to enable other people to do tasks like that, um, you, you know, the more room you have to grow a new idea or grow the business um so like making sure that and, and you're also building the skills of the people in your business like your administration or your management or even your teachers and like also all these different people they want to have um they want to be involved they want responsibility they want to be um engaged in in something other than what they're already doing I find and just using all the different talent that's there um, can be interesting but it's just to get as much perspective as you possibly can um, so that you can oversee your business and do what you're good at and what I was good at I felt was um, there was I have creativity and I have good ideas but when I was overwhelmed with all of the day-to-day stuff I wasn't I didn't have room to have those ideas Mm. I didn't have kind of space in my mind for them. And were you actually teaching? Yeah, like I, at the moment, I'm teaching very irregularly. I might do two or two days a month. Um, sometimes I might go three weeks without teaching. Um, so for for now, I, I've taken a bit of a step back from it. But initially, I was, you know, I had to teach a lot, um, and I loved teaching and I loved being part of it. And I think you shouldn't lose touch with that either. Um, if you are a teacher and have a passion, you should be in there and you need to, it's the same way that I, I, I would say this about singing as well. Like I find like every time I step on stage, I have something to teach when I come off, you know, I can, I can kind of really properly empathize with my students because I've gone through that experience of being on stage recently and, and I, I have more of a perspective from, from their eyes. In the same way that if I'm running the business and I'm managing these teachers, if I don't know what it's like to do that long day of five to six hours back to back and and have, you know, these different types of um, like an adult student or a kid or a teen, if I don't really understand what that's like, I can lose touch with it and I and I can mismanage them then. So um, there there's a balance to be struck there if, in an ideal world. Tell me what the process is from a physical and mental point of view when you're swapping between being the entrepreneur and the artist. What what have you had to adjust or change? I always I always look at this as I have I only have so much creative reserve, and I found that when I was teaching and being a business person that by the time I get home if I want to sit down and write a song on the piano there, there, there was nothing left I had no ideas left and I wasn't um you know in, I wasn't encouraged to go over and sit 
by the piano and play. Um, so I've had to like minimize them back so that I allow um, the creative reserve to be allocated now to writing music or to perform. And I really find with performing, especially high pressure stuff, you need a lot of um, psychological space um, to think about that, to visualize, to get ready, to prepare, to learn lyrics, um, you know, and I was, I know at one stage in my life, I, I was performing at night, teaching during the day and, and stuff was beginning to suffer. So I think you, you need to have a look at it like you have 100% and then what, what way do you divide up that percentage? Um, so at the moment now I'm like looking, I have three roles in my life. I'm a business person, I'm a vocal coach and I'm a, a singer, a performer. And at the moment I'm allowing my, the performing side to lead and I need to allow that space and, and allocate creative energy for that and what sort of strategies or tools do you use in order to allow yourself that freedom well I've relocated I, I live in I live in Dublin now um so that kind of minimized things that I'd usually say yeah to I'm not saying yes to anymore I suppose it's just being careful about what you're saying yes to like just because you're free on that day doesn't mean you should do it because that day might be the day that you need to write you need to learn lyrics or you know it's just thinking about your time in a different way and um you know what watching out for stress levels and adrenal fatigue you could be doing something really big and hyper um in your business and leading up to some big event in your business and and it's it's often that I'll get a a crash after that and an energy crash and what if I've got a really important performance the following week you know so it's just looking zooming out of your timetable and schedule and being really um strategic about that um and just yeah, I suppose staying in that mind frame, that creative mind frame um, and, and being able to say no um, to things, even though it makes sense with the calendar, it just mightn't make sense with where you are in your life right now. And what about uh, with regards to personal life? Again, because I'm writing and performing, uh, enjoying my personal life is really important. Like. Uh, that's that sounds weird but it actually has really fed my inspiration because I've allowed my personal life to come back in again when I was in business mode there's like an almost a hardening that sets in and you get really focused and determined and obsessive about it and now that I've been in a creative writing mode I've been much more up for engaging with my personal life again what's next I'm going to release a single and um, I have a series of gigs coming up with the our national uh, orchestra. It's called the RT Concert Orchestra. So we do um, this show with a DJ. Um, her name is Jenny Green. And um, we recreate 90s dance classics. So we have a, a couple of those shows throughout the summer and, and at the end of the year as well. And then I hope to do a tour of my own music, which I've been kind of writing for the last year um, at the end of the year as well so lots of performing things and I'm going over to vocalize you in July uh, which is the artist retreat um in LA and uh I'll be there for two weeks which will be fun um yeah so and I'll do be doing bits and bobs of 
some session work or back and forth work, but they're the, the main, the big highlights. Ah, ah.